All right, welcome, welcome. Um, real quick, I did a horrible job just a few minutes ago. I need to introduce you to some of these folks because our praise band, um, which they're all our praise band, uh, the other ones, um, they are out in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg right now on a little uh, retreat. And so, um, so these guys, good night, right? I mean, who would have thought, right? Been me up here with the guitar and that would have never been good. Um, but God raises up, and so I just want to say thank you guys. We had over here Travis. Um, he's one of our youth, one of our students uh, playing the bass for us. Miss Chelsea right here was playing lead. Um, we all know Josh, right? I mean, how can you not know Josh? Josh was playing the drums for us. Um, and then we have Janae singing and Olivia. I mean, like, good lands. Was that not awesome? Um, and I'm bragging in the Lord for you guys, so it's, don't, don't get a big head. This is for Jesus. This is worship. Um, and then Tyler, good night. Don't, don't you become like Franklin and learn every little thing about every instrument, but um, Tyler learned to play the piano, I think, like, what, a week ago or started? Um, his teacher is Franklin, so if you need lessons, Franklin would, uh, anyways. Um, and then Blake, Mr. Blake here, they've, uh, they've been with us now for a couple months, and so, uh, but man, I just want to say thank you guys, just brag on you for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to do that because I can do this to go with it. It, it. it was more than just them playing an instrument this morning and singing a song. Like, like I know these guys up here and their heart is for the Lord. Their desire is to worship Jesus. And they don't just do it on a Sunday morning when we need them to fill in or need them to lead us. They, that's, that's, a, that's their lifestyle right there. And so I just want to say thank you guys um, for that. And, and we miss you guys in Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg. So um, hope they have a great time and God just moves there amongst them. Second thing I need to discuss is I need to apologize. Um, and what I need to apologize for is this. Um, and this isn't a like, oh, poor Scott. No, I need to say I'm sorry for last week. Um, I preached a really long time. <laughs> and, and, and don't, and, who's, who's keeping track? An hour. Um, well, apparently y'all needed it. No, I'm just joking. I'm not. No, I'm, no, no. That was, see, look what you did to me. Um, no, um, no, and I want to apologize because, hear me, my heart here um, is discipleship. We want to be about discipleship. And so what happens in this place after we have worship, the large group gathering, is we have small group gathering. And so um, I believe God works just as much in that small group gathering as he does here. Um, and I believe that's a vital, vital part of discipleship. And so for you discipleship development leaders, I'm sorry that I took so long last week. Um, I mean, I just like to preach, I love, and I get going, and I had a Mountain Dew last week, and that was, that's not a good, um, and so, so I, I say that to say this, is, is I want to do a better job as, uh, as your pastor of getting you to that place where you can walk this out together, and you can talk, because I believe that's where God does some really, really good work, where the iron sharpens the iron happens, um, as well as we have groups that meet through the week um, that do discipleship uh, together, and so um, I, just, I just believe that's a vital part of who we are as a church. And I need to do a better job of, of managing my time better. So um, with that said, let's go ahead. We've, I've got a lot to say, so let's, um, no, I'm just joking. We've only got a few verses. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Acts 6, um, verse 8 is where we'll be. And so last week, um, we just, we see an issue arise in the church um, as it continues to grow. We see the church just start to just, I mean, it's busting at the seams and God is adding to the fold. And these are a group of people that are characterized by uh, their, their gladness and how they love one another and how they uh, meet the needs of those that have great need. And so you just see all of these different things happening in the church and it's starting to go. And you see Satan try to attack that. 
with persecution, but persecution in the church just causes to grow more, and so that didn't work. And then you see sin kind of enter the camp in the way of um, hypocrisy, and so you have Ananias and Sapphira, and so God just, he, he squashes that sin. He deals with that sin as it arises, and um, their lives are taken, and so then we see um, something uh, big happen last week is there's this group of people in the church uh, known as the Hellenists, which are just the Greek-speaking Jews, and they just feel like they're being neglected. And so word gets back to the apostles, the 11 um, that have started this, that God has used to start this, and so they hear of this issue. And so what they do is they come up with a solution. They find seven men of good uh, reputation, qualified men to kind of oversee this matter, to make sure that, that issues in the church, especially as this issue can be taken care of, can be um, uh, just, just looked after. And so in doing that, it allows the apostles to stay devoted to prayer and the word. We see them keeping their focus where it needs to be. And so the, the threat that the church was facing was that anything could take them away from, from the word that anything could pull them away, could drag them away from God's word. And so we talked last week a little bit about how we as the church are gonna be serious about God's word. Uh, methods and uh, systems and things like that's gonna change over time as we grow, as God adds to our fold, as he brings um, addition to this place, more people. We talked about how as that happens, systems and things like that'll change, but the word of God's never gonna change. That's gonna be the driving force behind everything that we do in this place. And I will fight tooth and nail for that. That's a hill to die on for us, church, is God's word and rallying around what God's word says. So the gospel will never be watered down. It'll never be diluted. It'll never be added to, but it's gonna be the very driving point behind everything that we do. Now, systems and methods and things like that may change, but we will be devoted to God's word. And so we talked about how as we grow, there's this need to evolve and to change. And so we're not the same church that we were when we were planted in 2006. We've changed, we've grown, God's added. And so we've grown, we've changed, we've morphed. And now our mission is still the same, to make disciples who make a difference. And we're gonna be devoted to that. We're gonna go hard after that, but we, we need to work and figure out how we can accomplish that, how that looks different today, how we, what kind of systems we need to come with, up with, what we need to do, how we need to organize as we looked at last week, we got to see that. And so we wanna do everything we can here as leadership to do that, to set up a system whereby we can take care of one another, whereby we can be like the early church here in Acts. We can love one another, walk with one another, care for one another, see us grow and mature in our relationship with Christ. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week we're gonna jump in and we're gonna see somebody that was mentioned last week kind of really get introduced to us. So I'm gonna ask if you'd join me as we pray and then we'll jump into our scripture this morning. God love you or thank you Thank you for this place this morning. God, thank you for the men and women that have gathered here. God, I pray you draw us closer to you. God, I pray you speak. God, I pray you make your presence known in this place. God, do a work. God, challenge us by way of your word this morning. God, may your Holy Spirit be moving, be active in this place. And God, I say that to say, please save the lost. God, please rescue those in this room that are uh, just struggling with sin, that are uh, stuck in sin. God, please encourage those in this room that are living you out, that are obedient day in and day out to following you, God, that you would just encourage. God, we pray that you would do a work in this place this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to gather as your body, as the bride. God, we adore you. God, we love you. God, we need you. Lord, we pray that you speak in this place this morning. And we pray, amen. 
So what we're going to see this morning is this, is there's going to be this transition that's going to take place uh, as it pertains to the church this morning, the early church here in the book of Acts. And so up to this point, Peter, the apostle Peter, has been the dominating uh, figure for the church. He's been, uh, what you may say, the face of the church, kind of the mouthpiece, the spokesperson for the church. And so what we have here is Stephen. And Stephen was introduced last week. but he'll be the figure that's gonna step up. He's gonna be the one that's, that's gonna step out and be the catalyst in taking the church out of Jerusalem into the rest of the world. We're gonna see that kind of start this morning as we continue the next couple of weeks to walk through the life of Stephen. And so Stephen is a very key component, key figure in the early church. And one of those reasons is because of his character, because of who he is, because of his relationship with Christ, and the, the great thing about Stephen here is that, that he was proof that the impact of a man's life and ministry has nothing to do with the length of it. It doesn't matter how long you've been in or uh, walking with Christ. It doesn't matter how active you've been. The length of that has nothing to do with God can still use in a short period of time to accomplish a great deal. And so his ministry was brief, but his impact was used for God for world evangelism. And so this morning, we're going to look at, at Stephen's spiritual nobility. We're going to look at, at who he was. We're going to look at three things this morning. So here's my outline, all you type A people. We're going to look at his character, his courage, and his countenance. No, I don't have a poem. That's very Baptist of me, but no poem this morning. So his character, his courage, and his countenance. So his character here in Acts 6, starting with verse 8, it says this, God's word. It says, and Stephen full. So I think we need to stop here for a moment because verse five, over in verse five of chapter six, he's described as full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Same word we see there, uh, we see here in verse eight. Same word, it means to be filled up. So Stephen is full of something. Stephen is filled up with something. And over in verse five, we see that being the Holy Spirit and we see that being his faith. So Stephen, what it means is this, is that he was totally controlled. That, that he was totally controlled by faith, the Holy Spirit, controlled by grace, controlled by power. See, Stephen had a, a confident trust that Jesus was who he said he was and that he was gonna do what he said and proclaimed that he was gonna do. He believed that with everything in him. He trusted Christ for what he said that he was. And so that just made me think this morning that, that most, people, most people today are good with trusting Jesus with their eternal destiny. You're good at trusting. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let him hold my eternal security, right? Because we know what comes with, with, with Jesus holding that. That comes eternity in heaven. That comes the blessings of God. That comes all of that stuff. But the problem is the difficulty comes with people from trusting Christ with their everyday life, their everyday happenings in life. I like to say it like this, and I say it often. It's something that I say uh, all the time here. And the reason why I say it all the time here is because I'm praying, I'm begging God to, to change the hearts, to f- save those that sit here in this place week in and week out that have no relationship with Christ, that church for them is just this thing that you do because you're in the South or it's a good and right thing to do. My prayer is that, that they'll finally hear what I'm saying this morning and be born again. And so it's, it's this, it's about Lordship salvation. It's about Lordship salvation. And what I mean by that is this, people are good with the Savior, they struggle with the Lord. People are good with get me out of hell card, like, like rescue me, save me, redeem me, give me an eternity in heaven. Like we want to sign up for that. But the problem and the issue, the rub comes whenever we say that he's Lord. Well, church, hear me this morning. Jesus is Lord and Savior. You don't get one without the other. What that simply means is this, is we're good and okay with Jesus saving us. But the moment that he tells us or he has expectations for holiness, now we've got to struggle. 
We're good with Jesus as long as he saves us and rescues us and we get to go to heaven. We're good with him. Don't mess with me too much. Don't interrupt me too much unless I need you, Jesus, unless granny gets sick or unless my job's in shambles or unless difficulty comes. Then now we want a Lord. We want somebody to step in and to work and move and do something. And okay, now you can kind of give me a a few things that I need to do to make this better, but don't require or expect too much. And so people are good with the part about not going to hell. But the moment that you put a standard or an expectation for holiness on us, then we've got a problem. And so hear me this morning. The most loving way I can say it is you don't get one without the other. You believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That he is the one in complete and utter control. That he has the kingdoms to heaven, to hell. he, He rules every aspect of everything. That, that's, that's what Lord means. That's what it means to say that he is Lord, that he is in control, and him as Lord, what he says goes. So his expectation, his standard for holiness, us living in a way that brings honor and glory to him is very real and very needed and very much something to be obeyed and followed. And so Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so we see Stephen submitting to that. We see Stephen, Stephen falling under that and believing that Jesus is Lord that he rules and reigns, that he also is savior, but he is Lord as well. And so Stephen here, he's full of what? He's full of grace. So because Stephen trusted God and walked in the fullness of the spirit, he was given the grace to face persecution, to take on even death. And so having committing himself fully to God, he was willing to endure anything. He was willing to go through anything. Why? Because he knew and understood that God's grace allowed him to be in that situation or that certain place or that circumstance. He understood that and he knew that. And so I believe this is something we need to work on. This is a place where we need to chat for a moment because God's grace allowed him to go through what he was about to go through. God's grace allowed him to walk through what he was about to walk through. And just to give you kind of a spoiler, it's not gonna end well for Stephen. Or wait, wait, no, it's gonna end great for Stephen. It's gonna appear to be horrific this side of eternity, but that side of eternity, Stephen wins. Stephen gets the very thing that he has longed for, so God's grace is gonna allow him to walk through that. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever thought of it or or, or prayed about it or looked at it from that side? Because God is gracious, I get to go through this. I get to walk through that circumstance. I get to go through that struggle, that difficulty that comes upon me because of God's grace. And so I know the thought, I know the rub, especially in our world, especially in our culture. Why would you say that? God's gracious because he allows me to to go through this struggle or he allows me to get this disease or he allows me to to, to be fired from this or he allows, that's God's grace? Why would you say that? And I would say that or explain it maybe like this because God is gracious and the way that we view it, perspective changes everything. So for the child of God in this place this morning, we would say, or we should say, that the greatest desire of our heart, the apple of our eye, the greatest love relationship that we have is that with Jesus. And so the most gracious and loving thing God could do in this place this morning, in the lives of his people in this place this morning, is do whatever he has to do to get our attention to draw us closer to him. That's grace drawing us closer, deeper in relationship with him because what I've learned is when you go through those difficulties, when you go through those hardships, when you go through those struggles, what I've learned is this, is that my dependency and my relationship with him strengthens immensely. So absolutely that's God's grace 
Absolutely, I wanna look at it that way. Because of his grace, I'm in this place. Because he sees something in me whereby he needs to rid me of me. I mean, that's God's grace in us, ridding us of us, emptying us of ourself why so we can be filled with him. That's what we see happen throughout the book of Acts. Uh, the church is desperate. The church is serious about walking with Jesus. The church is serious about obeying whatever it is he says, whatever it is that he asks. The church is it's serious. The church has lost its seriousness this morning, people. That's our problem is, is, is we're not that serious. So the greatest thing that God could do, the most gracious thing that he could do is take us through, do whatever he needs to do in our life to draw us closer to him. I believe the big fancy theological word is sanctification. He's sanctifying us, whereby he's setting us apart for something greater than us. It's that, that process where, where God rids us of us. God rids us of us. And in doing that, as we start to vacate, as we start to leave, as we start to be squashed, then he replenishes and he fills with him. He fills with himself. He builds up with himself. That's what he does. And so may we not waste that. May we not waste the difficulty. May we not waste the struggle, but may we press into Christ all the more and allow him to change us for the better and the better is for holiness. May we be holy and live a holy life as a result of whatever struggle press into him. So we see Stephen here, he's full. He's filled up with, with grace. And then look at what else he's full of. He's full of power. And so I just always wanna draw your attention to this because I believe that this is just a, a big, big point. I think it's something that we so often miss in the scriptures. Like, like the Holy Spirit's kind of always that crazy uncle that shows up at the family reunion. Like we get a little, ah, uh, he's there. We're a little uncomfortable. We don't know quite how to handle him. And, and so it kind of gets weird because we don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. We, we're a little afraid of him because we just don't know what, what he'll do. I, I believe that's kind of the way that we sometimes view the Holy Spirit. So every opportunity that I have to draw your attention to the reality of what the Holy Spirit's working, the Holy Spirit's doing, I want to do that because I want us to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. I want us to be a Holy Spirit-filled people. That's what I want. That's what I long for. That's what I've been praying for, church. That's what I mean, that God would fill us with his presence, that he would fill your pastor with his presence, that he would empty me of me and fill me with him, that he would empty you of you and fill you with, with him, that that would happen because when he empties us and when we are filled with him, things like this happens. We can be full of grace. We can be full of power. And so this power is just a direct result of being filled with the Spirit, allowing God to, to enter and to, and to move and to direct and to lead and to guide and to, to be obedient to his lordship. So as a result of being filled with the Spirit, having power, look at what the Scripture says to him next. So as a result of that being full of grace and power, he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is just a close link back to the apostles. See, this point points back to the fact that Stephen was doing mighty works with very much similar impacts as the apostles. And so what we know of the apostles thus far in the story is that they're healing the sick, that, that they're, they're moving in a way, that they are living out obediently, that they are, uh, they are boldly proclaiming Christ, that they are taking persecution and they are, they are wearing it as a badge of honor, that they celebrate the fact that they are worthy, that they are worthy to face that persecution that they are worthy to be flogged in the name of Jesus. So those kinds of things, that's power. I mean, that is immense power. What can you do to someone like that? And so the scripture here tells us that he was, he was doing those great wonders and signs among the people. It points back to the fact that he was doing some of the same things that the apostles were doing. 
So I guess the thing that just stirred me this week as I was looking and as I was reading, what about us? What about you? What about me? Is is the life that we live one that can be easily explained away? Is the life that we live one that that is not powerful but powerless? Like, Like what did we do this week where we put on display God's power and great and might and majesty? What, what did we do this week? How did God move in us, use us in such a way that we're like, man, those people or, or that guy or, or man, that woman, the power, the difference in her. And so I just, just want to chat for a second because I don't believe it necessarily has to be like what we see here in the book of Acts. I, I don't believe that you have to raise the dead or heal the sick to get somebody's attention nowadays. I believe it's something much, much easier, something much, I don't know if greater is the right word, but, but something even different than that. I don't think it has to be healing the sick or raising the dead. I would, I would go as far as to say this. What if this week, men, you were a godly husband? What if this week, men, that you took serious your relationship with Christ and you took serious the vows that you made before God and those witnesses? whereby you entered into covenant not just with that lady but with, but with God himself, whereby you say that I will be serious in this relationship with my wife. And so what if this week, what if you live sacrificially like, like Christ calls us to? What if husbands in the room that you said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be filled with the spirit of God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve her like Christ served the church. How did he serve the church? He died for her. How this week can you die for your wife? How this week can you make life easier for her? How can you uh, make an environment or create an environment whereby she can flourish? What would that look like? What would that mean in the room, men? If, if we empty ourselves of us and get over ourselves and because I'm just like anybody else in this room and I am selfish and I like me time and I like the couch and I, baby should be cooking. I, like I like those things, but what if? What if this week, men, we emptied ourselves of us? And we served her. No, 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 baby, you go sit on the couch. I got this. Who cares if it's a pizza order from wherever? It don't have to be homemade, all right? I see women looking at their husbands. That's okay, it's good. But baby, you sit on the couch, I got this. Bath time, uh-uh, man, it's all me this week. Don't you know, I want you to rest. I wanna serve you. I wanna create an environment whereby you can flourish, whereby you can, uh, you can be rested, whereby you can be uh, refreshed. That's what I wanna do. And so what if it's dinner? What if it's bath time? What if it's putting those little blessings down for the night? Which, which I don't get how that works because it, it never fails. I mean, they could be falling asleep on the couch, but the moment it's, you put them in a bed, like they are wired. And I don't get how it works, but it's like the bladder just fills up when you lay down. I don't get it. I mean, like he's peed seven times. How can you still need to pee, dude? You know? I just, I just want you to be asleep for a minute. That's what I need. I need count time with mama. Sleep. So what, what if, husbands, what if we did that? What if we served in that way? Or what if we got creative? Shot our wife a text this week. Said, baby, I love you. I'm praying for you. What if we actually did it at night before we went to bed? What if we served and loved her? And all the women were like, yeah, bro, get him. Go at him. All right, women, what about you? Uh, what, what if you emptied yourself this week, ladies, wives? And what if you allowed God to fill you and you, you uh, fulfilled what, the covenant that you entered into with him, uh, whereby you said that you'll respect and you'll honor him? So what if in your circle of influence this week, you just brag on your, you brag on your man? 
or you serve, or you send him a sweet little message, or, or you, you give him some time off, or you allow him to do something that, 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 that just helps recharge him and energize him. No, I got the kids tonight. You sit on the couch. I got this. I mean, I don't know. You can get creative. You can think through things. You can come up with things. But, but I think just things like that as a relationship, as we grow in our relationship with God, and we have opportunity to serve others. And it, hear me, it needs to happen in the house too. We don't overlook our spouses to serve everybody else. We serve those that we've been committed to, that we've entered into covenant with. That's who we're responsible for. That's who we take care of. That's who we walk this out with. I believe that if we, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I just believe with everything in me if the church would raise up and say enough of this ridiculousness and we're gonna get serious about our spouses and following Jesus in that. Man, can you imagine the power that we would have in this world? Can you imagine what that would look like if we would just do that, if we would just live that out? Or what about this? What about if this week we empty ourselves of us and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us? We'd be filled people with the Holy Spirit. And what if this week we worked harder than we've ever worked? We've done, we put in more than we've ever put in. Because you know what the scripture teaches about us as believers? We don't work, we don't work for a company. We don't work for a paycheck. Those are great and those are good and those are neat. But we don't work for that. The scriptures say, no, we, we work as if we're working for the Lord. So the reality of this, the men and women in this room that takes the name of Jesus, see how this Christianity thing is not as easy as everybody tries to make it out to be, how it is difficult and it is hard and it presses against everything in us. But if, if we were to empty ourselves, we should be known, men and women of God, as those that work harder than anybody else, that give more than anybody else gives, that devotes more than anybody else devotes themselves to. What about you kids? What would it look like if you emptied yourself this week of you and you allowed the Holy Spirit to fill you? Now, what, what would it look like to be obedient to mom and dad on the first try? Hey, bud, can you take out the, yeah, mom, I'm doing it right now. And she actually hears the door open and close and you did it the first try. I mean, that's obedience. Obedience isn't like four or five, six times down the, down the row, but that first time, uh, what, what would that look like? What would that be like if we emptied our, because like emptying ourselves is not just for the, the, the adults. No, no, it's for anybody that takes the name of Jesus. That's who it's for. Anybody in this room. And now, if you're not, you're in a different place and we, we need to, we'll address that and we'll, we'll talk about that. But if you belong to Jesus, then this is what it needs to look like. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have power. And I believe those are the kinds of things. And, and, and I mean, it could just be anything, like just a door opening to be able to share your faith, to meet someone's need, uh, needs in their life this week, to just pray for a I mean, it could be a number of things. Serving someone, like, like we are giving you opportunity this Saturday to make it super easy to enter into gospel conversation with people. As we go out next Saturday just to serve our community, I mean, we're going to the Hope House, where this, this children's house, and we're going to scrub and clean and do work down there and help out down there. All the while, an opportunity, it's not a Christian organization, an opportunity to share our faith, the opportunity to, to love on, the opportunity to, to pray over those beds where kids are going to lay their heads down at night. You don't know what God will do with that. We have another opportunity to go to a nursing home and just love on, love on those that are, that are in this nursing home and we're gonna paint nails or we're gonna sing songs and we're gonna uh, play bingo. I mean, how exciting is that? All in the name of Jesus. We're gonna empty ourselves of us and allow God to fill us. I mean, there's power in that and serving and you never know the conversation that may come up with someone over a game of bingo or as you have those few minutes of doing their nails. I mean, they stuck. They don't want to do it halfway, right? Like, women, you want your nails done. 
So they're there, they're, they're held captive. And as slow as you can go, let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, just imagine, so there's an opportunity to serve. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna help unload, somebody's moving in over here, and so we've got, we've got the privilege to go serve them and help them move stuff into their house. I mean, how great is that? That opportunity, I mean, we've been praying for a way to get in over here, have we not? I mean, we went door to door, we've handed things out, we've, we've done stuff, we're, we're, we wanna reach this community, we wanna reach our area, this is our Jerusalem, right? So we have an opportunity this week to, to unload somebody else's furniture. And imagine the conversation that can go, why are you doing this for me? Why, are you, why would you give up your Saturday morning to do this? So the opportunity to serve and talk there, and then we're gonna go over to Oakland and we're gonna weed their bed, we're gonna get rid of all the weed at school, right? The weed's there, we're gonna, no, sorry. That was a horrible joke. Reel it in, Scott. But we're gonna weed their, their flower beds. And we're gonna have an opportunity as we do that, we can pray for the classes, we can pray for the teachers. We get to clean up and make that place look good. Why? Because that's the campus that we're loving on this year. I mean, the principle and the relationship that we're building there with this opportunity to be able to serve I mean, man, the things that we get to do, the things that we've done already this year over there, and it's just an extension of who we are here. I mean, that's power, and that's what I'm talking about. We need to be full of power. If we just empty ourselves and we do the small things like that, I just believe it'll be, it'll be perceived with such a contrast. It'll get people's attention, and it would open up a door for us to be able to tell them of Jesus. So we see there, we see to begin with his character. That's who he was. That's, that was in him because of his relationship with Christ. He was a man after God's heart. He was godly. And then we see his courage as we continue. So, so someone with this kind of character and, um, and standard is going to draw some attention. If we would live in that way, it's going to draw attention. And sometimes there's good attention and sometimes there's bad attention. And this is going to draw him some bad attention. See, when someone is godly and different from the norm, it's going to cause tension. When the standard gets raised, it's going to cause tension. Whenever there's an expectation of, of something and someone's not living up to that expectation, it's, it's going to cause conviction. And conviction is a good thing. And I, I kind of like to tell it like this. I know you and I have, have had these opportunities before. Like when we go away on vacation or we're, we're somewhere away and we get to play golf. And as we play golf and we're paired with somebody we don't know, it usually takes about five or six holes in. And then you have that conversation. And I always like to initiate it if I can. It, it just makes it fun. And so we're about five or six holes in, and golf is a very difficult game, to say none the least. And, and, and so as we're playing, and as we're, we're a few holes in, and, and, and I'm just not good enough to get, get I don't talk like that, but I'm just not good enough to, to get like that. And so usually on vacation, whoever we're playing with, they, they say some choice words, not, not church-friendly words, and so things like that, or they'll, they'll throw something, or they'll be ready to break something, or they'll chunk stuff, and it's just like, they go crazy over it. And so it's funny because usually about five or six holes in, we're on the tee box and we maybe backed up and we're talking. And so as a guy, you always go this route. Hey, man, what, what, what do you do? And I always like to initiate that. Oh, well, I work for that. What about, and then, then the cordial thing to do is when someone asks you what you do is you usually respond with an answer and then you say, well, what about you? And I love that because then I'll say, I'm a pastor. And the look on their face is priceless. Like as if like I can really, like, like me being a pastor, well, I'm a Christian first, so that, that, but, but me being like that, like that really matters. And then they always start to like backpedal, you know? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, well, I'm, and I'm, you don't have to apologize to me, man. Like I can't do anything with your eternity. <laughs> like, like I hold the power of something in that. 
And so that, so what's happened is there's a standard that they may be aware of a little bit, and as a result of that, the way that they've acted has contradicted that standard, or has went against it, and so now there's conviction, or there's some guilt, and so that's always a fun place to kind of hang out and, and be in. And, and hear me, that's, that's gonna happen. If we would live it out, and we would uh, allow God to use us, and allow his power to fill us, and his grace to fill us, and the Holy Spirit to fill us, that's gonna happen. So that, that'll take place. But usually in those moments, if we'll just allow God's courage, if we'll, if we'll allow him to fill us with courage, fill us with power to use us in those moments, the doors will open and we can share. We can share. And so I've, I've had some pretty neat conversations in those times. And so that's, that's what we see here rise with Stephen on this occasion. And he does so in a right and good way. Look at what it says in verse nine. It says, then some of, of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as, as it was called, uh, and of those of the Cyrenes and of the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So these people are stirred to action as a result of his living and being and saying and proclaiming. And so they're enraged with their hatred of Jesus and their love for self. So they, they go after Stephen. They attack Stephen is what they do. And so what they do here is it says they disputed Stephen. So they start arguing and going at it with Stephen. And so what we know about the synagogue at this time, it's a place for the Jewish community to come and to, to read the scriptures and hear the word and to worship. And so what we know about them is that they would not be people that believed in Jesus' death, resurrection, and his Messiahship, that he was the savior of the world. And so then look at the outcome of this arguing, this disputing back and forth. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't withstand it. Like being filled by the Spirit, I, and I don't know if you've ever been in those conversations where you, like you walk away thinking, where in the world did that come from? I just, I just want to believe that, that, that God gives us what we need for those times, that God will fill our hearts, that God will fill our mouth with things to say that's going to, just point people to Him. That's what you do, just point people to Him. And so what happened here is Stephen used unarguable truth and great delivery, and that should be us. There's certain things that people just can't argue with about us, about our faith. They can't do it, whether someone believes the Bible or they don't believe the Bible. We have personal testimony of who God is and what he's done for us, and you, can, you can't argue that. All I know is I was dead, but now I'm alive. All I know is I used to be like this, but now I've got a heart toward this. You, you can't argue with that, because hear me, there's nothing in me that wants to go this way. I wanna go Scott's way, but all I know is that one day God awakened me to the reality of my lostness, and in that he rescues me, and he gives me a new heart, and he puts his spirit, his presence in me, and as a result of that, I'm drawn to him. I am drawn to him. I can't explain it, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but all I know is that I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. When everything in me from time to time wants to run to this, but it just can't, well, it can for a little bit. And there's conviction, and there's the drawing of the Spirit back to Him. So whether someone believes it or not, you've got your personal testimony. And we can deliver that in such a way that honors God and eases tension. We can do that. I mean, they just couldn't stump him. They couldn't wreck him in this debate. They could, they, they, so they try another tactic. Look at 11. It says, then they secretly uh, instigated men. And so this is what happens to Jesus at his trial over in Matthew 26. And this is their claim. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so they had such zeal for the law that they put Moses in front of God. And so what we know about blasphemy is this, that it is speaking an evil or something that God deems sacred, speaking against that. So such as the law of Moses, if you speak against it, or if you speak against the person of God or his temple, that was a very serious crime which could, could ultimately be punishable by death. 
And so by saying what they did, what they said about, he said about Moses suggests, Moses suggests that he was denying the ability of the law to save. That he was speaking against that. And so they're stirred up, these people in verse 12, they, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. And so the way that this is written, what it lends us to believe is that it was with force and violence. And so what we see is these people here, they had turned and their hearts were hardened toward the things of God, toward the man of God. See, the very fear of the people that, that forced the authorities to arrest them, the arrest the apostles without violence in chapter five has gone away, it's dissipated. And so there's this fine line between hearing the gospel and having hatred for the gospel. And so those who cross it often turns violent. Those who cross that often turns violent. I, I, I like to kind of give this, this example. It's, it's like the angry atheist, which doesn't make sense to me. They get so mad and worked up about something that doesn't exist, so they believe. Like, why do you get so, because I believe in a God and I believe in Jesus, you get mad and angry towards me, but you say he doesn't even exist. Why don't you get mad at all those that believe in unicorns? Why doesn't that get you amped up or riled up? It just doesn't make sense to me. You're gonna get mad at me about this being that doesn't exist, so you say, or believe, but because I believe that you get, what about the unicorns, man? That's what, let's, let's focus on them for a minute. Give us a break. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And so that's what we see. They get so angry and mad at the reality of this gospel, of this Jesus who they say they don't believe. And so look at what they do in verse 13. So they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. See, what happens here is this phrasing, whenever they put Jesus was Nazareth, it shows their contempt and hatred toward Jesus. That's the problem. Their true colors are starting to show. And so they've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't say that. What Jesus said is that he would destroy this temple referring to himself. And in three days he would do what? He would raise it up. That's what he says over in John chapter two. That he's gonna destroy this place. And so, so that's what happens. He'll destroy this place. And they go in and say this, and he will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So, so what we see is Stephen, like the other apostles, proclaimed Jesus as the fulfillment of the old covenant. That, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that, that was. See, the moral law, that had not changed, but the ceremonial law was done away with. Stephen's courage shined despite the opposition that he faced. So he never backs down and he never compromises. God fills him with courage and he allows his courage to lead him. He allows God to lead him, which brings us to our third point, the countenance. Look at his countenance and look at verse 15. This is just a beautiful picture of what God does in the heart and the body of people. It says this, and gazing at him, all those that were uh, against him, all those that were coming at him, gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So you see Stephen, he's there, he's standing there, he's been accused of this evil, of this blasphemer of God, the blasphemer of the temple, blasphemer of the law, but, but all they could focus on was his appearance. The way he looked, they, were, they, they hated Jesus and him in that moment, but it was just like, man, but look, uh, what are we mad about again? Look, look at that. I mean, there's just something different about him and how he conducted himself, how he, how he, how he was, his countenance, his very appearance changed. See, their hatred for him burns red hot, but, but they're like, look, look at him. I mean, is that not crazy? I mean, they're so amped up and so mad and so ready to get rid of him. 
And it's like in this moment, the way that he just, the way that he just is, the way that he looks catches their attention. And God's gonna use, their, use this to get their attention and set them up as we'll see next week. Say, God, use that in a way. But that's what we need to do. We need to let God fill us. And when he fills us, he'll change everything about us. He'll change our character. He'll give us courage. He'll change our countenance. He'll change all of those things. So as the band comes up this morning, as, as we close out, Stephen radiated the holiness of God. You could see it in him. His face was like an angel's, how they described it. He radiated that holiness, that, that glory of God. I guess my question for you, do you? What did that look like for you this week? What was that like for you? I mean, how did you conduct yourself this week? Could, could people, the way, that I, the way that I read it is, man, they saw Jesus in that boy. They saw Jesus all up in him, all over him. I just think of like Moses. I just think of him coming down off the mountain and he's just like glowing. I mean, I just, I just think of those kinds of things. And in hear me, church, the only way that your countenance will be like that, the only way that that will happen is if you're spending time with him. And spending time with him can't just be Sundays and Wednesdays. If you want to live a life like this and you, you want all of this stuff to happen and be like this, your, your character, your courage, your countenance, the only way that that can happen is you spending time with Jesus. He's the one that changes. He's the one that reshapes. He's the one that works and moves. So would that be you this week? Last week, this month, this year? See, by putting... By God putting his glory on Stephen's face, what he does is he shows his approval of Stephen. He, he, he shows his approval of the new covenant and its messenger, the one that's telling of this. And so Stephen's noble character and courage reflected the power that comes from God through his spirit. He's just reflecting that. And so what, we see, what we'll see in the coming months is how God will use this event with his servant and the church to affect one of the greatest men God ever uses. We'll see this moment as we get ready to kind of zoom out a little bit about what's happening here in this story, this little story of the church. As we see that, we'll see God start to affect and get at the heart of a man that he is gonna gloriously save and use in a mighty, mighty way to spread the gospel all over the known world. So this is what I want us to draw from. Every one of us needs to imitate these qualities in our life. We need to look at this and we need to ask God to, to help us be like this. God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your presence. We need to imitate these. How could God use us to spread the gospel and push back darkness only if we be characterized like Stephen was? Men and women of great character, of courage, if our countenance was like his. Imagine what he could do in his church today if we as his people would emulate the character courage that Stephen had. Just imagine. And so this morning as we close church, what has God stirred in your heart? Is there sin? Is there stuff? Because whatever you're full of, that's what's gonna come out. Whatever fills you is what's gonna come out of you. That's just the, the general rule. If it's Jesus, it's gonna be Jesus. That's why Stephen was like that. Because he was full of Grace, the Holy Spirit, power. He was full of that because he had emptied himself. He had allowed God to empty himself of him. And so what's in comes out. 
it's going to permeate through us. It's going to leak from us. So if it's Jesus, it's going to be Jesus. But hear me, if it's us and it's the world and it's stuff, then that's what's going to come out. We're going to be anxious about things. We're going to get angry easy. We're going to spout off at the mouth. We're going to, we're going to respond in a way that the world would respond. Why? Because that's what we're taking in. But if we allow God to empty us of us so that we can be filled by him, then we could be men and women, just like in this story of Stephen. And God could use us in this church to do a mighty, mighty work. God, help us this morning in this place to be obedient. Help us to see our great need of you. God, help us to be emptied. In your name we pray, amen. You come, you stay and worship with us as we worship. And if you need to come pray, if you need to be encouraged, if there's anything that we can do to serve you, do not hesitate to let us know.